Hi, good morning. Welcome again to Fremont E-Free. We are back in the recording studios this week. It is Jim and I back together. You're back from Colorado. Back from Colorado. It's good to be back. Good to be back in good old Nebraska. Uh, diving into Acts 4 this week. Another great passage. I think, I think one of the challenges I've realized in preaching through the book of Acts to this point is that there's just a lot of material to cover yeah. uh, in a short amount of time. And, you know, even yesterday, or I think maybe it was Saturday when we were driving back, Tony's like, couldn't you preach this in three sermons? And, and the answer is yes. Right. But then you're in Acts for three years. So I thought, well, I think in general, we'd prefer not to be in one book for three years. So we, d- we just have to preach the large chunks of scripture. And, and this is certainly one of them, that it is chock full of material. Um, there is a lot going on in Acts 4, 1 to 22. You could easily preach it in six or seven sermons if you wanted to be honest about it. But again, for the sake of, of just trying to see the narrative flow and not getting bogged down in, in, in details week after week, I think it is good for us to take big chunks of Scripture. And actually, probably helpful for us in the big picture to sometimes take books and, and have larger chunks. All that to say, there's a lot going on in Acts 4. Um, Jim, would love to hear from you as you've been thinking about Acts 4, 1 to 22. What, what was it that God was doing in your heart yesterday? Um, or even today, this morning, just as you've been thinking about this particular passage. Yeah, you know, even when we had our small group last uh, yesterday talking about this passage, it was like, what you know, what stood up to you the most? And like everybody shared something different. Right. Like that tells you how chock full the passage is when there's so many things going on that everybody is pulling different things out of it because there is there is so much to look at in in these what twenty two verses here. Yeah. Um. So for me. I'll start with this one. You know, verse 13, I think in a way was a lot, was was really convicting for me personally, mm-hmm. um, where it says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. I mean, I'll be honest for me, one, and I have several hindrances of just wanting to be on mission and proclaim the gospel to the lost is I'm always afraid that I'm going to get stuck. Like with a question, you know, someone's going to bring up, you know, some reason uh, to denounce the the existence of God or something like that. Right. Yeah. And I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not going to be ready to answer the question. I'm going to look foolish or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that verse is really convicting to me because like Peter and John were uneducated in common mm-hmm. and that didn't stop them from being bold. Right. And that made me like to say, you know what? There's a lot of excuses that I have for not being bold on being on mission for Christ. Mm. And this really convicted me that um, I need to quit using those excuses. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, Jesus promises um, in the gospels that, when when you're dragged before the authorities or the courts, don't worry about what to say. I'll give you the words to say, right? And, right. and we actually see that happening in this passage where Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and he knows what to say. And he's in front of the courts, right? Yeah. So I think there's there's definitely a sense here where we probably outthink ourselves and think, well, I don't know if I'll have the answers. And and in doing that, we're really making it about us when in reality, right. Jesus has already told us he, he's going right. to give us the words to say. So... Yeah, I think there's definitely that element. For me, I, I, I suppose the conviction was a bit on another side of the spectrum, but the same issue. I, I was just convicted that I see a lot of myself and the religious leaders. Um, mm. So I think for me, the reason why I don't share as much is probably not for the reasons you articulate, although it certainly can relate to those, but more so that 
I just don't want my neighbors to think I'm weird. Probably like I, mm, I, I think yep, I'm, I'm yep. already. I don't know. I already know they think I'm weird because I'm a pastor, right? Like, right. And they're yes. And I like I think that's a particular particular challenge that you and I have to work through is just like right. how do we how do we deal with the fact that when people know what we do, they just think, oh, here we go, like pastors right. talking, like. Yeah. But I think. I, some of some of if if I'm just honest, like I think some of of how I process that is think, well, I'm going to show them that I'm not a weird pastor, so I'm not going to talk about Jesus as much, right? Like, and right. it's like, well, that's dumb. Like, um, so I, I was just convicted that there's a lot of religious leader in me, and that I want people to like me and think I'm normal and not weird, and you know, I don't. I would hope it's not motivated by a desire to keep power or control. I don't think it is, although. You know, seeing the religious leaders makes me think there's maybe more of me in them than I'd like to think. I, I think for me, it's just like I don't want to be weird and right and rejected. The, at the end of the day, it's the same principle, isn't it? Like it's this mm-hmm. idea that um, you know, I because of the people. That's what's going on in verse 21 of Acts four. It's because of the people they they do what they do because they they just want the crowds to like them and to agree with them and and. So that was convicting for me um, to think about, like, I don't mm. want to be like that. And I, I need to remind myself that, you know, the same spirit that dwells in Peter and John dwells in me. And it's pretty clear in this passage, Peter and John just don't really give a rip what people are going to say about them. Um, right. Because they doubled down multiple times in this passage. If, if you think about the context of it, like this same group of people has just put Jesus to death, right? right. The Sanhedrin, the yeah. religious council. Yeah, Annas and uh, Caiaphas, right? And Same so, two dudes that were yeah. there with Jesus. Right. So this is not like a situation where Peter and John are like, oh, I doubt they're doing anything. I bet this is just empty threats. Like, let's be bold because they're, let's just call their bluff. Right. That is, I, I really doubt that's running through their head right. because they just saw them put Jesus to death. Right. So they had to know, like, Hey, we could get ourselves in a little bit of a mess here. Like, and we may not make it out alive. Right. Like, I think they had to know that was a realistic possibility. And yet, at multiple times in this passage, they doubled down anyway. Right? right. They even they even go so far as to say in verse is it verse uh, verse ten right um, where they talk about let it be known by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified. Right. So right. they're like. Whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. This is the one who healed the lame man. Like, and then in verses nineteen and twenty, they're like, "Judge for yourselves whether it's right to obey you or God." But we are going to speak about what we've seen and heard. And right. so I say all that to say, like, they have that boldness, and I have the spirit, and they don't really give a rip that their life is on the line. I should probably care a little bit less what my neighbor thinks about me. If right. they think I'm the weird religious guy. There's worse things in the world, um, right? And I, I need to maybe get over myself a little bit and just realize, you know what? This is about, first of all, the glory of God. Second of all, it's about my neighbors being in eternity um, right. with Christ, and not. I mean, if you get right down to the root of it, it is selfishness, right? To care more what they think about me than it is to share the good news of Christ. So, right. I think that's where I was convicted on this passage. This right, and their and their message was simple, right? It's almost like a trilogy. We've heard this message in Acts. Two in Acts three and Acts four. This Jesus, you crucified him, he rose from the dead. Believe in him. Yeah. Like that was that was all that they were telling people. It's like, and that made me think that like that's the conversation, right? The conversation is is what have you done with Jesus? Like who is Jesus to you? I mean, Jesus died and rose again. If you believe that is true, then that changes everything. So what are you gonna do with Jesus? 
Yeah. Um, and, and like, so I, I do think sometimes I think that maybe we even get the message real complicated and yet the message is really simple. It was simple for yeah. Peter and, and, and John, right? Cause they kept saying, they kept banging this drum. Yeah. And again, to your point, they're uneducated common men. And I, and I don't think that means that like, you know, they're illiterate or whatever. Right. Like, I just think that means they didn't have any formal religious right. training in this case. Like right. they were just, they were just your average guy. Right. Like, right. And I, I I agree with you what you're saying 100%. In fact, last night in our GCG, we were talking about, like, I think we overcomplicate things a lot, and we make it sound like, okay, well, we need to be equipped apologetically, and we need to have, you know, better evangelistic strategy. And I'm not saying there's not a place for those discussions, but at the end of the day, it's really pretty simple, right? Like, walk with Jesus, tell people about Jesus. Right. Um, That seems to be Peter and John's formula. They walked with Jesus, right? That's verse 13, which you pointed out earlier. They took note they'd been with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They told people about Jesus. Right. I mean, if we really want to reach people, lost people, that formula is a pretty good one, right? Like, right. let's walk with Jesus ourselves. Let's let's be transformed by him. And then let's tell people about Jesus. Let's not right. overthink this here as if right. it's some complicated thing. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And this even like, you know, ver- verse 12, probably, you know what you say, probably the most famous verse in the book of Acts, possibly. Yeah, it's up there for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's such an exclusive claim, right? Like, and I, maybe that's where it riles and it really goes up against the, 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 the culture of our day, right? Because it's so exclusive. Right. You know, there is uh, salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. Like, that's pretty narrow-minded, you know, <laughs> Um to say, look, it is Jesus and Jesus only. Right. And yet that does go so counterculture today um, of, ex- of inclusiveness, right? And this is a very exclusive verse. And, and maybe that's where we feel like uh, where we can get in trouble a little bit, right? Because we aren't being inclusive. We're being exclusive because Jesus is exclusive. Uh, and to say, well, what are you going to do with Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously there there is, and we talked about this yesterday. Like, there is an inclusivity to the gospel, meaning that it's an offer given to all people, right? right? Like, and right. That we can yes. freely offer it to all people. But I think it's okay to press people on the exclusivity of it too. In fact, more than just okay, I think we need to. And I think um, again, one thing I was just convicted of last night when we were talking about this is that you know, I don't think I press in on enough of that. Like, right. you know, in this context around here, there's a lot of people who would say, um, you know, it's my works plus Jesus that gets me saved. Right. Right. And to press in on that in an Acts four twelve type ways, like, no, salvation is not found right. in another name. Works plus Jesus is found in Jesus. Right. And, you know, I think that's where we do have to be okay. Realizing like the message itself is offensive um, yep. and exclusive. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be needlessly offensive ourselves, um, but it does mean that we probably have to reckon with the fact that sometimes when we press in on people, they may not like it. Um, that's certainly happening here in Acts 4, right? That they're pressing the exclusivity of Christ, and the religious council doesn't like it. Um, no. Nope. And I, I, think, I think some of it is we just have to settle in our minds. Are we okay with not, everyone not liking us? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a verse where Jesus says something to the effect of woe to you if everyone likes you. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something right. along those lines. And it's like, okay, 
like, why, why don't we take, like, so I'm just asking myself this. Why don't I take that more seriously to say, like, why am I so worried about everyone liking me when actually that's a woe is me if that's the case? Like, right. so I, I just think there needs to be, for me, a course correction in the way I think about things. Sure. To make sure that I'm not the, reli- the religious leaders of Acts 4. Right, right. Yeah, because it is striking, right, to see in chapter 3 the masses are amazed and astounded by this healing right right and the religious leaders are totally like nope yep this is not for us like they don't even deny like they don't even deny the possibility or the reality that jesus did this they just don't want it you know yeah um and that makes me like that's a good reminder for me to think that you know what if people reject this they're going to reject things that i do and just to think, well, I'm in good company, you know, I'm in good, I'm with Peter and John here of people that have been rejected because these works are far greater than any works that I will ever do. Um, and if they rejected that, I should not be surprised when they reject me yeah. too. And to be okay with that and to trust that, you know, the spirit is moving how he chooses to move. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things we talked about in our group last night too, that was helpful for me to think, okay, th- this guy is lame, right? And he's more than 40, so he's very old, obviously, right. to use Luke's language, that he was more than 40 years old, which was a humbling verse for me to read this week. But all that to say, like, he's miraculously healed, right? right? This, this dude is, is lame all of his life, at least 40 years. At right. least, everybody least knows this lame guy. Every, everybody knows this lame guy. He's been around for a long time. Yep. And now he's healed. You would think that everyone would say, okay, we better kind of pause and reevaluate things here. Like God is doing something. Right. Maybe we should listen to what these guys are doing. But that's not what happens. Right. Right? They, they, they actually want to stop them. They, want the, right. they don't want them to do anything more in Jesus' name. Like, and so in that is this, like, this humbling reminder that like, I, I think there's part of us that thinks, okay, well, if, if we saw the miracles that Jesus was doing, we would believe. No, you wouldn't. Not right. unless God opened your eyes, right? right? Like, um, and that's that's just the humbling reality of the spiritual nature of who we are, right? Is that it takes the grace of God to open our eyes, right? And like from an evangelistic standpoint, it takes the grace of God to open the eyes of right. the person that we're sharing right. with. Like, we cannot do this, like. Right. As we were talking about that last night, I, I thought about Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? So, you know, the story is that Lazarus is poor and he's treated poorly in this life. The rich man has all these things and, and they both die. And, and essentially the rich man goes into torment because he didn't follow God. And Lazarus is, is with Abraham, right? He's, he's in paradise kind of is basically right. how it goes. Right. And at the end of the story, the, the rich man begs for someone to go back and warn his family, Okay, so that's the context here. Verse 27. Uh, then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abram, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Hmm. And I, I thought a lot about that in the context of Acts 4, even since we had the discussion last night, that... Even if someone rose from the dead, that wouldn't be enough for some people to believe in Jesus. Because if they, if they won't hear the word, that's Moses and the prophets or the Old Testament, right? Like right. if they won't hear the word, it's not enough. Right. Like that is sufficient testimony. Mm. And so mm. 
the encouragement for me from an evangelistic standpoint is just stick to what the word says. Like, I don't need to have some bells and whistles here. Like, I don't need to have some great apologetic argument. I don't need to, if they won't hear what the word says, that's sufficient enough. Like, that, that's all we can do is present the word, right? Like, that's the only thing we can do is hold out the right. word and, and let God do what he's going to do. Right. On the other side, though, it does make me... Um, grateful and overwhelmed to think that God opened my eyes um, mm. and to think that I, you know, it wasn't because some of something I did, it was because God was just gracious to me. Right. Right. So those are some things I'm chewing on next for. Right. And I think it's good. I mean, that's a good reminder just for me, just to continue to be more, um, more God uh, dependent. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of times I will think, you know, if I'm meeting with someone and I just have this, what I think is just a great airtight argument or advice or like, like, uh, you know, just, I just bring some, what I think is just really great word. Right. And it totally falls on deaf ears. And I just look at it and I go, well, what could I have done differently? Like what more could I have done? Or, you know, uh, why didn't they hear what I just said? That was so good. Um, and that's where I realize that a lot of times I think that it's dependent on me that I just am able to give the right advice. If I just give the right advice and just say the right things, they're just going to open their eyes and go, oh, Jim, you're so smart. And yeah. they're just going to follow it, you know. And that's where that makes me realize, you know what, hmm, I need to be really dependent on the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit can work, uh, you know, a million times better than the best advice that I will ever give. And just to recognize that I think is really important for me. Yeah. And and to have the the confidence to just stand on what the word of God says. And let that be enough. Like right. if if you know, to sow the seed and not feel a need to make the seed look different than it is or more attractive than it is, just sow the seed. Let it do its right. thing. Right. Um, you know, I, I had a, a friend who is I, I think pretty gifted at evangelism and, and we would go out sometimes and do street evangelism and and he would, you know, he would ask a series of questions and then he would, he would say, hey, can I share an illustration with you from the Bible? And oftentimes the person would say, well, I don't really believe the Bible's the word of God. He goes, that's okay. I just want you to know what it says. Hmm. Um, and, and you know what, strangely enough, at least probably 50% of the time, the person would be like, okay. And so then he would just share the word. And, and you know, I'm not saying that like we saw people come to know Christ left and right, but there was a, a, a genius to that strategy and just being confident. If I get the word out there, it's possible the word of God will just change them. Um, right. And so just putting the word of God in front of people and letting the spirit do the work. Um, right. And trust in that. Yeah. And like to be fair here, because I don't want to be Debbie Downer in Acts 4, like there are people in verse 4 who are being added like crazy, right? right? right. Another 2,000 people are added because they're up to 5,000. Yeah, right? if, you, if you take that to be that this is an addition to the 3,000 from earlier, right? right. Like, so now we're up 2,000 more to 5,000, unless you make you think that's 5,000 more. And then there's even some speculation the number of men came to about 5,000, so how many women and children were involved? Like, right. I don't know that it really matters because the point is God is moving, right? Like the, right. that there are people who are being rescued. And so right. like we don't want to sit here and say, well, you know, you know, the, the religious leaders, they saw this and they didn't believe, you know, sometimes people just don't believe. Well, that's true, yep. right? But at the same time, some people did see, and because the spirit was working, yeah. their eyes were open and they were being saved. Like, so let's right. be confident too that it's not just like, 
let's be stoic and throw the word out there and expect no one's going to hear it. Don't right. no, don't be that way. Um, be confident that as you throw the word, there's going to be some who respond, but also be realistic, like that it's going to take a work of the spirit. That right. You can't change people. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Anything else on X4? You know, I really like, I mean, I think for me, like I think the key verse is verse 8, right? Hmm. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. I mean, what an amazing moment. I mean, what? look at the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter, just two months earlier, denies Jesus in front of slave girls who had no authority over him right. at all. Like zero. Yeah, zero. that's a good comparison, yeah. You know, and he denied Jesus in front of them. And now he is standing in front of Caiaphas and Annas and these two people who are probably the highest religious authority people in the land. And Peter boldly proclaims Jesus. I mean, that is, you look at that, and, and that's what we talked about in our, in our group yesterday. That was kind of like, wow, I don't want to shortchange the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, he's doing a mighty work here in Peter. And if he can do this mighty work and transform Peter the way he does in Peter in these two months time period, what can he do in me? And, and to, to say, okay, like, and that's kind of scary. Like that's even scary to say, okay, like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to believe that you can use me to do really big things yeah. that I'm uncomfortable doing. Yeah. But yet say, okay, Spirit, work in me where I'm uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable in that and do that. Yeah. No, that's good. I think I think your comparison with the slave girls, like that's really interesting, right? Because, I mean, here's these people who have very little power and he denies Jesus. But then he comes to people who have a lot of power, to even in his life, and he doubles down. And right. Why is that? He has the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, so I, I think there's... I, I think without question, we should be more confident that if we have the Holy Spirit, we can be bold too. Right, right. So I guess uh, one other thing I was going to talk about a little bit is the resurrection here. Like, what, why, do, why is the resurrection always this point of contention? Okay, two questions. Why, why, is, why is it the resurrection that was so offensive to the religious leaders, do you think? Um, and two, I guess this is a follow-up. Like, why, why don't, I think we tend to understate the importance of the resurrection. Um, we kind of bring it up on Easter, but we talk more about the crucifixion. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but this is just my observation, more about the crucifixion than the resurrection. Um, so one, why was it so offensive to the religious leaders? And two, why do you think we don't talk about it as much as the early church did? Well, I think there's probably great religious leaders, figureheads, who died all the time. Right but none of them rose from the dead. That's yeah, a pretty audacious, audacious claim, right? So if you raise from the dead, you have done something that nobody else has ever done. Yeah. And so if you, like I mean, so if you did raise from the dead, that validates everything about what you said about yourself. Right. Because, and when you claim to be God, if you're God, you should be able to raise from the dead. Yeah. If you're not God, you're not going to raise from the dead. Right. So I think that's what the Pharisees probably recognize. I think they recognize that they're in this quandary of if we have to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. Right. Because if he rose from the dead, that's not the only thing that's true about Jesus. There's a lot of other things that come with it, right? Right. Right. It's everything that that he said comes true. Um, And so I think that's why the religious leaders are trying to stuff this away is because they recognize this is... 
uh, like it either. I mean, we've talked about this before, right? It, it all unravels if it's not true. Right. But if it is true, it validates everything. And yeah. so it changes. It's a game changer about who Jesus is. I mean, no other religious leader even said they would raise from the dead. Right. You know, I mean, you think about that. Nobody does that. Uh, and because Jesus, they know it's not possible, right? But no. Jesus not only, well, he said he was going to, and then he did, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. And so I do. I mean, the cross, without the resurrection, the cross is just a good moral example to follow. Right. That's all it is. Uh, but with the resurrection, the cross becomes the saving point for everyone because it validates that Jesus was the sacrifice that did take sins, that did make our relationship with God right that all of those things now are true. It is more than an example at that point. It is a thing that you say, I, I have to say, you know, I have to follow and submit to yeah. and confess and, you know, all of that. If Jesus' bones are buried somewhere, then we should forget about our Christian faith. That's what Paul says, right? We yeah. are the most of all men to be pitied, right? Yeah. We should, we should just abandon it. Yeah. But the point is, they're not, right? right. Like, he's alive. And so then the follow-up question that is, like, why, and maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels to me that we sometimes don't talk about the resurrection enough. Um, and, and if you disagree with that, then go ahead and say that. But, like, if, if that's an assessment you would agree with, then why is that? Why don't we right. talk about the resurrection? Yeah, I don't know. That is a really good question, why we, why we don't talk about the resurrection as much, you know, because our, our lingo is talk about the cross you know, I, I remember Mandy tells the story that, and I maybe have told this before, but um, when she was teaching vacation Bible school at our church in Olathe, and our senior pastor happened to be sitting in, in the room in that day, and Mandy said something about the cross, and, and he stopped in the middle of that lesson, and he said, never talk about the cross without the resurrection. Hmm. And that made a huge impact on my wife and on me to think that, you know, yeah, we need to model that, to say, look, it, you should never talk about the cross and not at the same time talk about the resurrection because they are so interconnected and you can't take one out from the other. And I don't know if the cross is just like the, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, obviously we probably make a bigger deal on Easter Sunday. Right. I mean, you look at like an Easter Sunday service and a good Friday service, more people come to Easter Sunday than good Friday. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I you don't know, know what to make of that, but yeah, that's true. But you know, I but I do think like I mean, you even think about I mean, I do like that some of the songs that we are singing now do talk about the cross and the resurrection. Right. A lot of songs sing about the cross. More songs now are starting to sing about the cross and the resurrection because we realize we need to sing both. But maybe that was just the emphasis that we grew up putting on. I mean, what do you think? Oh, I don't have any grand theories. I just wanted to hear you talk about it a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure why we don't follow the pattern of the apostles and acts and talk about the resurrection constantly. Why we would divorce the crucifixion from the resurrection is a little bit mysterious. Um, I, I really don't have any grand theories as to why that's the case. And I, I think even in my own life, I've probably talked far more about the crucifixion than the resurrection right. when yep. I've shared Christ with people. Yep. Um, I, I don't, I don't, maybe it's because we can imagine someone dying as a substitute for someone else, but the idea of someone raising from the dead is just so foreign to us that maybe, maybe it's just harder for us to talk about. I don't know. Um, but it, it does seem like if we were to follow the pattern that we see in the new Testament, we should talk equally at least about the crucifixion as the resurrection. And if anything, the pattern in the new Testament is to talk more about the resurrection than even the crucifixion, like in the book of mm -hmm. Acts, 
I, I could be wrong and, and you know you can check with me next fall when we've gone through the book of Acts like and we can say well is that true like but I, I think if I were to guess the resurrection is talked about way more than the crucifixion um, right so I you know I don't know if there's a theory and I suppose at the end of the day it doesn't matter why that is but I think what I'm trying to get at for myself here is I think we need to course correct mm-hmm. and we need to make sure that we're talking about the resurrection proportionately mm-hmm. because clearly it was important to the early disciples who are under Jesus' teaching. I, I briefly mentioned this last Sunday. It's the whole reason why they started worshiping on the first day of the week, right? Right. They used to worship. The day, yeah. They worshiped on Saturday. Now they're worshiping on Sunday. Right. That's a radical shift for the Jewish people. Yeah. What, would, what can only be so radical to shift them in that way? The resurrection. Yeah. Every Sunday is resurrection day, right? Yeah. No, it's good. I think... I think the hope for us is we are thinking about the resurrection more often than just Easter. And I, I do think that's one of the values of going through the book of Acts is that it's just forcing us to realize this is kind of sort of a big deal, right? Like yeah. the resurrection is the turning point. Right. And if you reject the resurrection, then you've rejected the good news of the gospel. There's you no other way to say everything it. everything about Jesus. Yeah. You, you can't say, oh, I believe Jesus was... The Christ, I just don't think he rose from the dead. Now, you don't believe in Jesus that's presented right. in the Bible. Absolutely. Um, he either rose from the dead or he's not the Christ. Um, I don't know if I said that right. But my, my point is, like, in order to be the Christ, he had to raise from the dead right. because that's what the Messiah did. Right. Exactly. All righty. Well, I think, um, I, I think it might be through verse 31, but it could be through the end of chapter 4. I can't remember because I haven't looked. I, I just... Coming back off vacation, I'm, I'm kind of reorienting <laughs> myself here this morning. But we are at least going through part, verse 31 and potentially through the rest of chapter 4. So if you read ahead and you get the next week's message, that's great too. Um, but really, Acts 4, 23 through 31, potentially through 37, I can't remember how we broke it up. But obviously, I'll know by uh, later today and certainly by Sunday. So I go ahead and read through Acts 4. It's going to be another great passage. I, I, so far, I've really enjoyed the book of Acts. Oh, it's me pressed too. me. It has pressed me. And I, I like that about Acts right. that, it's challenging me, and I hope it's challenging you too. So all that to say, again, Word of God, great treasure. Dive into it this week, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>